course, there's another big event that's taking place tomorrow night. What's that? Yeah, the Chiefs game. Although it got moved from uh, Mexico City, it's now being played in L.A. How many are going to watch it? That's it? That's only, only half the class is going to watch it? All right, how many think the Chiefs are going to win? Woo! All right, a little better there, a little better. Uh, you know, uh, the majority of a football game is actually played in the middle of the field between the 20-yard lines. But most football fans understand the game itself is won or lost in the red zone. Teams that get bogged down in the red zone lose more often than they win. The red zone. For those of you who are not football fans, you may be wondering, what's that? The red zone. Well, the red zone is that part of the football field between the 20-yard line and the goal line. So you got these this field shortened up, and there's only 20 yards in which to operate and score. And everyone knows when you drive the ball down the field to the red zone, you've got to score. And you need to score what? Touchdowns more than you score field goals in the red zone. Now, what's interesting, this year the Chiefs currently rank number six in red zone scoring at 71%. Thank you to our quarterback, Patrick Mahomes. Uh, In fact, last year they finished the season at, well, towards the bottom. They were only 45%. So... Uh, the red zone is all about heart, hustle, and mental toughness to drive the ball in the red zone. Now, you're probably wondering, what does all that have to do with our series here in First Peter that we've been in? Well, notice this. As we conclude our series here in First Peter, series we've been calling The Sojourner's Guide to a Hostile World, we're focusing today on men. So, men, give it up for us. We're glad we came, right? All right, I know. Some of you may be wondering why I came, but I'm glad you're here. And specifically, this lesson today is for men who want, or at least hope, they desire to have a fantastic marriage, a fulfilling relationship with their wives. This lesson is for men, in the context of 1 Peter 3 that we're going to see here, is for men who want to make God known by living faithfully in their marriage. So... This lesson is right from God's Word to every husband here this morning. And Chris, even though you're not a husband quite yet, it's even for you as you get ready to become one on Saturday. Now, I honestly believe that most men, most husbands, they want a good marriage. They want to have a vibrant marriage, a fulfilling marriage. And the reality is... Not everyone experiences that kind of marriage. And the reason is simple. Those men, most men, simply get bogged down in the red zone when it comes to their marriage. There are any number of reasons to explain this, why this happens. We, we may lose focus as a husband, uh, in our role as a husband, lose focus in our marriage. Maybe we're unprepared going into marriage, and, we, and now we're playing catch-up once we get married. Perhaps we, we fall into sin in the middle of our marriage, and, and we're trying to recover from that. Maybe we just make some simply dumb, stupid mistakes as guys. But the biggest reason is called the blitz. In football, a blitz is intended to do two things to distract and disrupt the opposing offense. And Satan 
has been blitzing men in their marriages for years. Satan will blitz us with any behavior or distraction that limits us to no gain or the equivalent of marriage field goals instead of touchdowns. And so like a good quarterback, guys, we got to read the blitz and we have to adjust. We must be prepared to audible in order to counter the defense. We must have the courage to stand in the pocket and make the right play. Sometimes we may even have to scramble. Men, your marriage is too important to forfeit. Your wife is too valuable to lose. And we can't afford to fumble the ball in the red zone as turnovers will kill any momentum in a marriage. With that in mind, here's Peter's challenge to us guys, and specifically to us here this morning who are husbands. Notice the challenge to men sojourners. It's here in your notes. It's to live faithfully as men of valor in your marriage. To live faithfully as men of valor in your marriage. Now, if the challenge that we've seen for the last two Sundays, two weeks, for women is to be women of hope. We have seen this in 1 Peter chapter 3, the first six verses. Then the challenge for us men here is to be men of valor. Peter begins with these words in 1 Peter 3. So if you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to turn there. 1 Peter 3, even though it's written in your notes, I think it's good to see it in your Bibles as well. So turn to 1 Peter 3 and notice what it says. Peter begins with these words in verse 1. He says, likewise, you wives be submissive to your own husbands. Now, most of us husbands here, we read that verse and we say with bravado, that's right. Teach it. Honey, are you listening to this? What Peter says here in verse 1. But men notice what God says to us specifically in verse 7. And I want to read it from the English Standard Version. He says, likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Now, men, I got to be honest. You know what I love about this verse right off the bat? It's just one verse. <laughs> Did you notice that? I love that about Peter. It is one verse. This is great. Six verses for the women and one verse for the men. All right. That tells me God definitely knows men. God understands men. All right. He knows most men need the bottom line all summed up in one verse. And the bottom line is this. It takes men of valor to live faithfully as a sojourner in your marriage. Peter starts off with these words. He says, likewise, husbands. Likewise, as what? Well, it's really taking us all the way back to what Peter writes in chapter 2 about Jesus Christ. Likewise, as Jesus Christ suffered for us leaving us as an example to follow in his steps. And we read that, and he, he writes a whole paragraph about it in chapter 2, verses 20 through 24. In other words, Peter is taking us guys back to the example of Jesus Christ, and he's holding up Jesus and saying, guys, 
here's who you're following in your marriage. This is what a man of valor looks like in marriage. The example is Jesus. He was no coward as he suffered for us on his way to the cross. He was a man of valor as he committed himself to God. And I'm afraid far too many men, sometimes it's just, it's easy mentally and even emotionally to give up in our marriage and learn to just to coexist physically with our wives. It's kind of like going three and out in a football game. And that is not what Peter's calling us to. So what does this mean? What does this look like? This idea as husbands in a marriage to be men of valor in our marriages. Well, that's what I want us to unpack here in this one verse. Notice number one, a man of valor lives with his wife. You might even write the word dwell because translations use the word both live and dwell. Peter begins in verse 7 with these words, Likewise, husbands, live with your wives. And you say, guys, great, I've got that down. We both live in the same house. Check that off, baby. But that isn't what Peter is talking about. It includes that, obviously. But this word live, sometimes translated as dwell, is used several times to refer to the sexual relationship in a marriage between the husband and wife. But most commentators agree that Peter, in this context, in this specific verse, uses it to refer to the aspect of togetherness with a husband and wife. This term, to live with your wife, or dwell with your wife. It encompasses all that married life involves. It's the idea, guys, of to make a home with your wife. To develop and maintain togetherness and intimacy in your marriage. Now, Peter has simply taken the concepts or the design for marriage that God first established way back in Genesis chapters 1 and 2 with Adam and Eve. So again, he's taking us all the way back. Why? Because marriage is rooted in creation. The design, the purpose for marriage, God established. And if we get away from God's design, God's purpose for marriage, we're going to be all messed up. And it's what we're seeing in our culture even now. So this idea here, it means when God said to Adam and Eve, leave and cleave in Genesis 2. In other words, we are to leave our parents. That's what Chris and Audrey are going to do. They're going to physically, in this case, move out of their parents' house. Chris doesn't even live with his parents anymore. Audrey, I can't remember if you do any. You guys. You moved out to summer. But that's the idea. We, we're leaving our parents, not emotionally necessarily. We still maintain relationship with them. Aren't you thankful for that, Katie? Absolutely. But we leave in order to cleave with our spouses, to make a home together, to make a life together, to enhance that marriage together as husband and wife. But let's be honest. Too many wives are suffering from H-A-D-D. You're like, what's that? I've never heard of that. Husband attention deficit disorder. (laughs) Living with your wife means a whole lot more than just paying the same mortgage. Sleeping in the same bed. 
in sharing the same bathroom. To live or to dwell with your wife means to invest, to do life together with her, to share. And if you do this consistently, it will transform your marriage. It's not complicated, and it's not like most of you guys haven't ever heard this before. In fact, we don't really need to necessarily learn more about it. We just need to do it, to apply it, to implement it into our marriages. Every man here actually understands the concept of what this is and what it takes to accomplish this idea to make a home together with your wife. If you want to lower your golf handicap, guys, if you want to raise your bowling average, if you want to grow the best lawn, if you want to shrink your waistline, or if you want to demolish the competition at work, it takes what? It takes work. It takes time. Time and work. So men, remember, you don't get a great marriage by substituting a shared life with your spouse with providing a good living and a good material things for your family. This idea, I'm, I'm the provider as a husband, that's true. But we have, we've substituted one for the other and we think this, oh, my sole job as a husband is simply provide for my family. Make sure they have a house, this, this, clothes, blah, 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 blah. I'm a provider, provider, provider. So I spend all my time at work doing whatever. And we think that is all it encompasses in my role. And we think that substitutes this, what Peter's getting after, of living with, dwelling with your wife and making a home together and sharing life together. One is not exclusive to the other. All right? If you want a great marriage, you have to invest in it. A great marriage is not contagious. It's not something you catch like you do a cold. You have to pour time into your relationship with your wife or you're not going to have a great marriage. That's what it means to live or to dwell with your wife. Now, I do find it rather significant that Peter here puts the responsibility of developing togetherness on who? Not the wives, but the men. It's our responsibility to initiate this, guys, in the marriage and to see it through. Now, obviously, if there's a wife in the marriage that doesn't want anything to do with it, that, you know, that's, that's a problem here. So we're not, Peter, again, we said this in the beginning, Peter is not taking time to answer every question and what if when it comes to all of marriage. He's lasering in. He took time to focus on the wife's responsibilities and the wife's role. And now he's focusing in on us guys in our role. And he squarely puts the responsibility for this on us, not the wives. So, men, men, please listen. You cannot build your career, develop your hobbies, hang with your friends, and have a great marriage all at the same time. Some guys maybe can do that. Most guys can't. Why? Because you have to spend time with your wife to have a great marriage. Perhaps some of you are thinking, well, just how much time is this going to take? 
I mean, after all, as guys, we're the, we want the bottom line. So tell me, how many minutes a week do I got to spend with my wife? Are you saying it, it, it's into the hours? Listen, I, I don't know how much time it's going to take for you and your wife. Because every marriage is different. Every man is different. Every woman is different as to their needs and what it takes. But I do know is every wife here needs your time. And that's why the challenge is to be men of valor in your marriage. Because it takes courage to say no to some things. In order to say yes to your wife. Well, I thought I said yes on my wedding day. Yeah, you did, but it's ongoing. It's ongoing. And there may be times where you've got to say no to your career. You've got to say no to your hobbies. You've got to say no to your friends in order to say yes to your wife. In other words, it takes men of valor to subordinate your own selfish desires in order to live together with our wives. Now, it may sound obvious, but one way to develop togetherness, guys, in your marriage is to actually spend time with your wife. Why do I say this? Because the reality is so many couples live in their own separate worlds doing their own separate things. And they do it under the same roof. So do things together. And you're like, what? That's not for me to tell you what to do together. You've got to figure that out. It can be simple things. It doesn't have to be extravagant things. It doesn't even have to be things that cost money. I've shared this before several times. I'll share it again. One of the things that my wife and I do, and we didn't start out doing this in our marriage. Because marriages are like seasons of life. They change. They ebb and flow. And in, in, in our, where we are in our stage of marriage, after 27 years, our boys are now old enough. One's even out of the house in college now. Others as a junior in high school. So for the last seven, five years now, we, we, my wife and I can actually leave the house and leave them at home. And now when they were in middle school, you know, we could leave for 30 minutes at a time, an hour at a time. So we found taking walks together was a great way for us to connect and reconnect, and stay connected. And so we try to do that on a regular basis. And, of course, we have two dogs, and we walk our dogs together. And it's just where we, that's, that's what works for us right now in this season of life. Now, obviously, when it's cold outside, like it has been, it goes down. So then in the wintertime, you've got to find other ways, at least for my wife and I, we do. So you have to figure all this out. As someone once observed, Chains do not hold a marriage together. It is threads, hundreds of tiny threads, which sew people together through the years. And, of course, one of the benefits of our boys being older now is my wife and I can now go on date nights again. It's great of them, you know, and just like, no, Jack, we're not taking you. You can eat bologna sandwich tonight. <laughs> All right? It's, it's me and my, your mother's night tonight. All right, so you got to figure this out, guys. But it's your responsibility to figure it out. Spending time together. All right, so the first thing a man of valor does is he lives together, dwells together with his wife. Number two, a man of valor knows his wife. 
knows his wife. Peter continues in verse 7. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. That phrase there literally means to dwell with your wife, quote, according to knowledge. And you may say, oh, that's great, man. I'm two for two here because I know my wife. She has brown eyes, brown hair. Her favorite color is green. She likes to eat Mexican food when we go out to eat on a Friday night. I know my wife. Listen, guys, Peter's not talking about that kind of knowledge. Any man can know those things about his wife. In fact, it reminds me of this uh, this guy while attending a marriage seminar on communication. Tom and his wife, Lori, listened to the minister declare, it is essential that husbands and wives know the things that are important to each other. So addressing the men, he asked, guys, can you describe your wife's favorite flower? Do you know what it is? Feeling pretty good about himself, Tom leaned over and gently touched his wife's arm and whispered, Pillsbury all-purpose, isn't it? <laughs> Guys, the rest, is, uh, the rest of the story is not pleasant. Got to bring a little levity to the situation here. So, what does, quote, knowing your wife involve? Well, let me just highlight two things here. Number one, it involves knowing your wife spiritually, emotionally, and yes, physically. It includes knowing your wife in those three areas. This means as we live with our wives, we need to study them. We should observe our wife and become a student of her. Learn to know what she loves, what she hates. Know what fires her up and what discourages her. Know when the good time is and the bad time is to approach her. Know what her desires are, her hopes, and even her frustrations. Basically, understand what makes her tick. Knowing your wife means you know the answers to the complex questions about her, such as what are her deepest concerns and fears in life? What does she respond? Or why does she respond as she does to certain situations and even people? What does she need from you? And let me tell you, there's no website for those insights into her life. Even your father-in-law can't give you this inside information. You have to find it out as you do life together, as you dwell and live together. And yes, it takes time. It takes paying attention. It takes even prayer and asking for God's wisdom and insight. It takes a man of valor that's willing to take the time to know his wife. Now, guys, if you don't realize this, let me just say this. And I'm not saying I'm a perfect husband by any means. I ask my wife. She'll tell you. I have all kinds of areas and room to grow. So I don't stand here proclaiming to walk this road perfectly. No man does. But here's one thing I have learned. Most wives long for this. Few things give a woman more security within that marriage than knowing that her husband understands her and knows her. That's what turns romance into lifelong love. That's what keeps her committed to you and delighting in your presence. 
And I know what some men are thinking perhaps now. Lord, you want me to understand my wife? That's impossible. Listen, there's good news. You don't have to understand every woman in the world. And we say great to that, right? You don't even have to understand your sister. You don't have to understand your mother. You don't even have to understand your mother-in-law. But guys, you are called, I am called to understand the woman that I said I do to. I only need to understand one woman in this world. And that's my wife. It also involves not just knowing your wife, but it involves knowing God personally through his word. This word knowledge also has the nuance of knowing God. A personal knowledge of God in his love and grace is what distinguishes Christ-like love from worldly lusts. And it's this personal knowledge of God that enables us to love our wives as Christ loved the church. And that's the kind of love we are called to with our wives. If you want a, a, a description of this, just take the time, guys, to read Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 through 31. And there you have Paul's description of how we are to love our wives as Christ loved the church. This word knowledge, it, it, it's not, it also involves knowing God's word right here. Especially as the word of God relates to marriage. You see, this is the greatest deficiency in our culture right now. Most people today in our culture come to marriage with their own ideas about marriage and marriage roles for the husband and the wife. And they are ignorant when it comes to what God has to say about marriage and the responsibilities and roles for a husband and wife. So, Knowing God's word here, guys, it, it, it means we know God's purpose for marriage. We understand our responsibilities as a husband, not based on what your family says or what your friends at work say or our culture says, but based on what God says here in his word. This means we need to read God's word. We need to be able to answer the question, what kind of husband am I supposed to be? In fact, it's interesting. You go back to 1 Peter chapter 1 and in verse 14, and Peter actually describes our condition before salvation. And he uses this word to describe our condition before salvation. He basically says, you're ignorant. You are ignorant of God's truth as it relates to Jesus Christ. And, of course, God then does a work in us. He opens up our heart. He opens up our mind. He makes himself known. He reveals the truth to us. And we embrace, then, the gospel of Jesus Christ. But, men, here's a key question that we need to answer. Now that we're born again, now that we're Christ followers, Peter's term, sojourners and pilgrims, are we still ignorant of God's truth, not as it relates to the gospel, but as it relates to marriage? In our role as husbands. 
here's what's true about most men. When it comes to buying a new car, when it comes to buying a new TV, or anything that we're going to invest money in, we will spend hours researching the best buy or we'll spend hours looking at the same car or TV. We'll search the internet for the best deal even. And yet when it comes to our wives and our marriage, we're lucky if we spend five minutes studying what God's word has to say about marriage and our responsibilities as husbands. This is what it means to actually provide godly leadership in your home. You can't provide godly leadership if you're ignorant about God's truth on marriage and your responsibility as a husband. So, men, let me ask you through a few questions. Let me throw them out there. They're for me as well. Do you know more about Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs than you do the wife in your marriage? Do you spend more time reading about football or cars or hunting than you do about God and his word? Guys, most of you understand the need to change the oil and air filter in your car or your lawnmower. Why? Because you know it will last longer if you do so. But do you understand the needs of your wife? It takes a man of valor to know his wife and to know God through his word. So what else does a man of valor do? Well, number three, a man of valor honors his wife, honors his wife. Peter goes on to say here in verse seven, he says, likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life. Now, what's honor? What does that mean? Honor has to do with values and importance or significance. The idea is to value who your wife is in what she does in her role because of her importance to you. And this means more than just at Mother's Day or your anniversary. It means giving your wife what she deserves every day, and that is your honor. Gary Smalley and John Trent write this about honor in their book, The Gift of Honor. They say, in ancient writings... Something of honor was something of substance, valuable, costly, even priceless. For Homer, the Greek scholar, the greater the cost of the gift, the more the honor. So let me just throw out two gifts, guys, that we can give to our wives that will show them that we honor them, that we value them as our wives. One, tell her you love her and tell her you appreciate her. Listen, I haven't met a wife yet who's tired of hearing these three simple words from her husband. I love you. And I know, guys, we sometimes think, well, I said that on my wedding day. That should, that should be sufficient for the rest of our marriage. No, 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 no. That may be sufficient for you, but you're wired different than your wife. And no wife gets tired of hearing that from her husband. So, guys, when's the last time you verbalized 
that you love your wife. Now, and of course, in our day and age of technology, man, it becomes really easy to even do this beyond verbalization. Although I think to verbalize through our voice, through our lips, and do it face-to-face carries a lot of weight. But there are times, I mean, through text messaging, it's just great. My wife and I, I don't, you know, maybe we're corny, but we'll text message each other a little bit. Not always, not, it's not like every hour, believe me, that would drive me nuts. Um, but, you know, my, my wife will send me a text here and there, and I'll reply back to her, you know, and, and, she, and we'll say, yeah, I love you, you know, and my wife, because she does home health care, and normally, especially when it's rainy or bad weather, man, I'll text her and say, hey, darling, just want to remind you, drive safe, drive slow, I love you, and I want to see, you know, we need you, we want to see you come home. You know, just something is casual, whatever, but it's a simple reminder. It, and, of course, my wife, she's, you know, she puts these little emoji symbols when she does it with me. And I'm like, whatever, you know, <laughs> they're great. And, but so it's easy to be, you know, to do these things just to say, I love you. And, guys, if your wife is like mine, then she loves to hear also what I appreciate about her. It can be as simple as, man, thanks for making dinner. That was really good. My wife works three days a week when she comes home from work and she makes dinner after a long day of work. I, you know, I just tell her, hey, Dara, thanks for making dinner. I don't do it all the time. Listen, there's sometimes I totally space out. And I can go weeks at a time. But let me tell you, when, when I'm spurred then and I, I recall it and I'm, I tell her that, I mean, there's just this little glow on her face. And it motivates her to serve our family in that regard even more. She appreciates that because she knows I appreciate her. So tell her, verbalize. Number two, treat her as one who enjoys a privileged status. Treat her as one who enjoys a privileged status. Gary Smalley and John Trent, they add this insight about honor in their same book. They write, not only does honor signify something or someone who is a priceless treasure, but it is also used for someone who occupies a highly respected position in our lives. Someone high on our priority list. This means we are to honor our wives by assigning them top priority on our list of human relationships. Top priority in our schedules. And most importantly, top priority in our hearts. Why? Because that woman you're living with, listen to this guy, she occupies a privileged status. She's your wife. And according to Proverbs 18.22, he who finds a wife finds a good thing. So what is a man of valor? A man of valor lives with his wife. A man of valor knows his wife. And a man of valor honors his wife. And guys, perhaps you're wondering, well, why should I devote myself to being a man of valor in my marriage? Again, Peter, I love Peter. He's so pragmatic. He's so practical. He knows guys too. And so he gives us guys two reasons why. Two reasons why this is important. Number one, look at it in your notes. Two reasons to be a man of valor. Because of what your wife is. Because of what your wife is. She is the weaker vessel. 
all through the Bible, the human body is compared to a vessel. Now, that word vessel, it's intended to communicate the idea that the human body is like a piece of pottery or like a clay jar, which means that both husbands and wives are vessels. And so, ladies, while Peter says that women are the weaker vessels, this also means that men are weak vessels too. Now, a word of caution here. When Peter calls the wife the weaker vessel, it does not imply inferiority. It has nothing to do with weakness of character or intellectual ability or spiritual weakness. It refers primarily to the difference in physical strength in marriage roles between husbands and wives. And there's no denying the physical strength. In fact, now, because we live in a culture where the gender lines are being so blurred and transgenderism, and so guys can say, well, I identify as a, as a woman. And so did you hear the latest even, the brouhaha? This, this guy who identified with as trying to be a woman, he, he rode this bike race uh, in, a wo- in a woman's race. And, of course, what do you think happened? <laughs> he won! The lady that came in second place or third, I can't remember, she, man, she went off about it. This isn't fair. This isn't right. Well, duh, because there's biological differences here. And our culture wants to ignore that. Okay? God has, he's saying, no, listen, it's, it's, there's some differences between physical strength here and even differences in the marriage roles between husbands and wives. And so while it's true that women are physically weaker, and yes, ladies, even weaker in terms of authority in the marriage, it's also true that in every sense, women are equal in value and significance. The point that Peter's trying to make is this. Husbands, do not... Do not use your physical strength to take advantage of your wife. Or misuse your authority as the husband for selfish reasons. Instead, you are to honor her and protect her. You use your strength to protect. You use your authority to honor Here's what I've learned from my own wife. God has wired women in such a way that they feel safest when they know you are protecting them physically and spiritually. Men, this is a big deal to your wife. So be a man of valor in your marriage because your wife is the weaker vessel who needs you to honor her role, to lift up her role as a woman, as a wife, as a mother, and to protect her physically, emotionally, and to spiritually spiritually, and to look after her well-being. The second reason to be a man of valor is not just because of what your wife is, the weaker vessel, but because of who your wife is. And who is she? She is an heir with you of the grace of God. Now, this is powerful. Because Peter is reminding us 
that even though we have been greater authority, us guys in the marriage, in the home, husbands have been given greater authority as husbands. Our wives are still equal to us, listen to me, in spiritual privilege and eternal importance. Peter uses this phrase. He says, they are heirs with you of the grace of God. Some of your translations may say they are heirs together of the grace of life. True, your wife is the weaker vessel. But remember, too, going back to chapter 2, what Peter says about all of Christ's followers. Your wife has been born again to a living hope. Your wife has been bought with the precious blood of Jesus. Your wife is of the royal priesthood. Your wife is part of God's chosen nation. Your wife is God's own special possession. Therefore, treat your wife as a first-class citizen of heaven, not as a second-class servant in your home. Notice that Peter says that a husband and wife are heirs together in this. What? Heirs together of what? Peter uses this phrase. He says, the grace of life. And that phrase, the grace of life, is all the blessings that God pours into our lives. It's all his goodness that we don't deserve. But together is the operative word here. It's not my right as a husband to hoard all the blessings of life all on myself. God's design is that Darla and I together would share the grace of life. God's grace. And here's why. Because the Lord knows we both are in desperate need of God's grace. Personally and in our marriage. Why? Because both of us, we are sinful and selfish. That is who we are. It's often talked about, man, I, I got to find a spouse who's compatible with me. That's bogus. This is why no two people are, quote, compatible in marriage apart from them both sharing in the grace of God. That's what makes two people compatible in a marriage. Is God's grace working in them and through them in the marriage. And if that's not happening, all you have are two sinful, selfish people trying to coexist in a house. And sooner or later, that blows up. So guys, let me summarize it. Bottom line, a man of valor dwells with his wife. He knows his wife. He honors his wife. But here's the critical question we must answer. What happens if you and I get bogged down in the red zone and we fumble this challenge away in our marriage? In other words, what if you fail to live as a man of valor in your marriage? Well, notice Peter's warning here. You will experience, this is in your notes, you will experience spiritual impoverishment in your life and marriage. Now, why do I say that? Where do we get this from? Look what Peter says. Here's his warning at the end of verse 7, guys. Look at it. 
He says, likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman. And then the very last phrase, see it, so that your prayers may not be hindered. This word hindered, it means to cut off. It's the idea of throwing an obstacle in a way of an intended path. And so Peter is calling attention to something that we guys, we as men, we often forget. Or we even deny it. And that there is always, listen to me guys, there is always, always, always a correlation between your relationship with your wife and your relationship with God. In essence, he is saying that if we aren't living as men of valor in our marriages, if we aren't living with our wives, knowing our wives, honoring wives, then your prayer life is being blocked. It's being hindered. And I know what most guys are thinking right now. Well, what's the big deal about that? Prayer life being blocked. Well, here's the big deal. Prayer in this context here, it's actually a symbol of our dependence on God. See, most guys think they can go through life and their marriage and they can do it themselves. And you are naive if you think that. You need God's grace at work in your life and in your marriage. More than we can ever understand. Prayer is at the very center of life since it is our link with the living God. And Peter is saying, if your prayers are not effective, then your life and marriage is not effective in the ultimate sense. In other words, you will experience a spiritual impoverishment if you fail to live as a man of valor in your marriage. Guys, you know what this means? It becomes really, really simple, and I'll close with this thought. And, you know, I've been... I've been on staff here at this church now since 1995, pastor now for almost 17 years. And I I have seen this over and over. I've seen it in my own life as well, guys. You show me a man, show me a man who is bogged down in his relationship with his wife. And I'll show you a man nine times out of ten who is more than likely bogged down in his relationship with God. The two are correlated. And that's why Peter says what he does here. Here's the truth every husband must face. I am responsible for the condition of my marriage. It starts with me, not my wife. Now, that doesn't mean that your wife doesn't have a part to play. We've talked about that. And that doesn't answer every question of what if, what about this, what she's not doing. But don't go there right yet, guys. And that's where we always want to go. Peter's redirecting your thought to you. Yes, God wants your wife to live as a woman of hope, but you are responsible for the condition of your marriage. And that's why God calls you to live as a man of valor in your marriage. And it is possible with the grace of God that we share in with our wives together. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for our time together. We thank you for these words of Peter here. Not easy words necessarily to hear, but words that we need to be reminded of as guys, as husbands, as fathers. 
And so, Lord, I pray with open hearts and open minds, we would take it to heart. We would seek to apply it. Lord, you would give us just the extra grace and power and strength from you to live this out. Lord, help us from overreacting and want to focus on what our wives need to do and what they're not doing and just simply look in the mirror and focus on us and our relationship with you for now. Grow us as men. Grow us as husbands. And Lord, also work in the lives of our spouses. We thank you for the grace that is in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Lord, help us to follow after his example that he has shown for us when he went to the cross. In your name we pray.